right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. And I'm your host, Jeff, Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out my company for some late fall musky gear, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And my co-hosts today are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you need some stuff for late fall, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. And I said co-hosts, Carrie. So excited to have you back on. I know your fan club is going to be super excited because I don't even know how many podcasts it's been since we've heard you. I'm just super excited that you're here. Really, really, really excited. I don't even think I can explain to you how happy I am. <laughs> I think you're exaggerating, but um, yeah, it has been a while. That's for sure. It has been. So Everybody wants to know what do you what have you been up to all summer long? Because I don't like I said I can't even recall the last time I talked to you on a podcast. I obviously talk to you about bait related items from time to time, but never on a podcast in like I don't even know how long. Forever, probably it feels like three months. I haven't been three months, but it's been um, probably two, I guess. So, Maybe three. So, I don't know. So what's what keep, am I doing? I'm building bait. That's good. I mean, somebody's got to build them around there, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, our recent weather stretch has to probably be keeping bread in the shop now a little bit, I would assume. I mean, I know uh, last podcast we thought that things would be locked up by now, and I'm assuming they're not yet. I've seen some pictures this morning from northern Wisconsin, and things look bad up there in some cases, which hoping the upcoming forecast makes it a little bit better. But I'm guessing you're getting a little more help from Brad, at least a little bit this week, right? Yeah, the shop is getting very clean now. Kind of gets to be a mass chaos in here all summer. So this time of year, things get, finally get time to straighten things out and figure out the game plan for for the rest of the fall and the the winter and how we're going to tackle everything next summer again. Yep. Well, now's the time to do it. On down, you know, when you get some downtime, you better take advantage of it because lately it hasn't lasted for long, which, you know, as we've talked on numerous podcasts, we're very, very happy for. But, you know, sometimes it just gets um, it gets to be a process and kind of, a, I don't want to say a long, drawn-out process, but it, it gets to be rough sometimes for trying to get everything organized and taken care of because you're so busy just pumping things out, which, like I said, is great. I know we're all happy about that. Yeah, it's always interesting, Jeff. You know, everybody probably thinks, you know, a bucktail manufacturer this time of the year really kind of goes into slow motion or maybe not doing anything at this time of the year. But, you know, I always use the example of, think about it, stores are already bringing Christmas stuff out. It's October. So fishing is no different. And uh, with the box store side of things, we're already working on some of those orders, those potential first orders of the season that uh, pretty much do a restock in those stores. So we end up getting a little bit of time, maybe a month, two months at the most, and it starts right back over again. And this year without the shows, well, so far, the two shows that we would normally do, Chicago and Milwaukee, have been canceled. I, uh, I hope to maybe have a little bit more time than we've had in the past years, but we'll see what happens. You never know. Absolutely. And for anybody that hasn't heard, um, from what I understand, the Ohio show has also been canceled. 
So it's looking like, as of right now, the first muskie show of the year would be Minnesota, which I think is like the first weekend in March. And obviously, this is all just as of October 27th. Brad, I realized, I, I shouldn't say I just realized it, but we definitely cut her close again. I mean, what do we got? Less than 24 hours to turn this one around before people need to listen to it again. So you're getting some updated information, although today we're not going to cover anything that's necessarily uh, fall related. I think we've beaten fall to death and we may talk a little bit more about it, but for the most part, we're going to answer some listener questions today and we're going to have a guest on next week. I think we're we just pushed it a little too far. I spent too much time fishing, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, I finally got on the water. Sunday was a good day. Did a little late fall trolling. Nothing like pulling giant crankbaits and catching muskies. No giant ones, but I was happy enough to put three muskies in the net. And quite honestly, for anybody that's running big baits in the fall, if you don't think little muskies eat them, they are, you are sadly wrong. They definitely eat them. My smallest muskie came on a 14-inch jake, and it was probably a 34-inch muskie, and had no problems trying to destroy that bait. So, just goes to show you, no bait can be too big, it seems like. Yeah, that's for sure, Jeff. You know, everybody gets confused on that. You know, looking at a giant bait, and like, how can a fish handle that? It's no problem. I mean, if you've ever seen two fish locked together, whether you see it quite often maybe with pike, you know, where the same size pike is trying to eat the same size pike. It's pretty bizarre, but, uh, yeah, don't be afraid of the big baits. I I love big baits. I think that's, uh, it's always my go-to right from the start of the season. And I pretty much end up that way throughout the whole season. Hey, Jeff, has anything been said about the PA show yet? I have not heard anything yet about it. Again, I think that one is, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's like the first week in March. So, you know, quite honestly, with these upcoming shows, I mean, you know, for us, for us exhibitors, we probably need a couple months to get ready. So I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't expect any announcements out of any of them until probably early January, I would assume. Wouldn't you guys guess? Well, when is the PA show? I, I'm kind of gapping on that. I think it's the end of January, correct? No, I think it's the first week in March. I think, oh, it's the, I think it's the same weekend as Minnesota is supposed to be. Okay. Because if I remember, yeah. Betty had told me, John from Stealth Tackle had told me that he wouldn't be in Minnesota this year regardless because it's the same weekend. So he would have been going going there, which Minnesota, because Minnesota and Wisconsin flip-flopped this year. At least they kind of flip-flopped because I think with the new, we're supposed to be moving in Minnesota, that new venue. So I think date-wise, he couldn't, he could only get, the same date that the um, that the Wausau show, Northern Wisconsin show, usually had, so they moved their show back to accommodate Paul's show in Minnesota, and I think then that ended up being the same weekend as the PA show. Yeah, it looks like the PA. I just googled it. Um, the PA show is scheduled for March sixth and seventh. Yep, and then and then that would be whatever, the 5th, 6th, and 7th, probably for Minnesota then, right? Because I think the 6th and 7th, that's just a Saturday, Sunday in PA, isn't it? I think so. I think it is. Or is it a Friday, Saturday? I don't know. No, I think it's a Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. So I would think that those shows wouldn't probably make any decisions until, I don't know, a little while from now. But based on the way things are going, 
I, I don't know. It's maybe 50-50 that either of those shows or any of those shows pull it off. I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. You know, Jeff, just to kind of touch on the weather, you know, saying that we were going to be locked up or whatever, it, it's pretty amazing. Uh, we've been super cold over here in northern Minnesota, so things have, uh, things have gotten wild. The smaller bodies of water, they're having some issues with uh, some ice buildup. Even some of the shorelines on the, some of the bigger water is starting to get that way. But we have a warm-up coming up again, and a lot of times that can trigger some bites too. So something to think about. The season isn't quite over yet. I think this weekend we're supposed to be in the upper 40s, and some of the nights don't look that bad either. So the season is definitely not over. Yeah, it's not. I thought for sure by – honestly, I, I was thinking even in northern Wisconsin that we were done for sure – really soon but i'm hopeful like you said we got that same kind of warm-up tomorrow it looks like it's supposed to be a little bit better and the weekend forecast looks pretty good as far as not so not so cold nights i heard that i think pelican lake was like 12 degrees this morning and that's one that's on my list of places i want to i want to get out there i've never gone out there this late in the fall and i i just really like the lake from a trolling standpoint it's got a lot of different structure to hit you know between deep breaks and rock humps and all different type of structure that I would really like to get out there to play around and we'll see what happens. Like I said, obviously the rivers are still going to be an option as long as you can get out. That shouldn't be a problem. So for people that are getting out though, Brad, you do a lot more late, late season fishing than what I do. Are you generally taking like sand and salt with you just in case you got some issues at the boat launch? Well, hands down. Yeah. You know, if, if there's multiple trailers getting pulled out of the water, guess what? They're dripping and it's going to make it really slippery. So unless you have really good sun and warmer temps, you definitely want to think about that. You know, you can always get a little bit of sand and gravel out of the lake as well. But uh, I usually carry some salt um, and will basically just kind of cover it right before I back down it. And uh, if that isn't the answer, we always got some sand right in the lake. And shovel. Yeah, and a shovel, like Terry said, that's a good idea. Yep. Well, the other thing, too, that I know when you're pulling out of a boat launch, it's sometimes best to go a little bit slower, kind of let your, your trailer drip off closer to the water as opposed to pulling all the way out and letting it drip all over. For you guys with bunk trailers, though, you don't really have a whole lot of choice. Those bunks hold water for two hours, so you're kind of a little bit more yeah. stuck there. Hands down. You know, I mean, be courteous for the next guys, that's for sure. It's something to definitely think about, but uh, either way, you know, if you got multiple boats going in and out of the access, it gets a little bit crazy. You know, it's amazing how many docks are still on the water up here. We probably had 12 inches of snow last uh, Thursday evening. I bet you there was 12 inches on the ground. And fortunately for us, you know, the ground temps were still pretty warm. So the stuff was kind of melting underneath the layers, you know, but uh, we still got a lot of snow on the ground. But the sun has get, definitely got power, and it's kind of melting things relatively quickly. And I'm guessing with the warmer temps coming, we'll probably see some grass again. Yeah. Well, let's hope. I mean, for us, we had just a little bit of snow on the ground over here, and it's gone now. So hopefully we uh, we, we get to see an extension of the season. I was definitely concerned that October we'd be almost done by the end of October, and it looks like we're going to get a little bit of reprieve. So for those of you that are still getting out, hopefully you guys uh, still – Put a couple big fish in the net. I know there's guys still out chasing muskies. I saw them this past weekend. I wasn't by myself, so there was 
there's a few guys on the lake still chasing muskies down. A lot of guys up by northern Wisconsin are still dragging suckers around, and I'm assuming having some success. I know that you guys over in Minnesota, that's a thing that you guys do a lot too, is drag some suckers around, and they can be really good. I know you, Brad, you're you're going to be casting or trolling. You're not going to be doing the sucker deal, though. Yeah, that's true. You know, I'll throw a lot of rubber and a lot of big wood, like we've said in the past the podcast. But ultimately, you know, once it gets so cold, and, and we had some of these days last week, I was on the water every day. It gets so cold that, you know, if you're below 30 degrees, your rods and reels are really struggling to, to maintain where they're, they're not freezing up. So the only true option at that point is, is trolling. So we did some of that as well. Yeah, I know even on Sunday, it was cold on Sunday when I was out and my line was starting to freeze up a little bit on my reels. But like I said, trolling helps helps that a lot. You can extend your season a little bit longer. You can extend your days a little bit longer. The only problem is if you're not catching much, it gets to be a little bit cold. I think I need to go to Fleet Farm or wherever and get one of those plug-in seats that you keep talking about, Brad. I need one of those for my feet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you put that thing in your boat, it's amazing. And you're talking $20. It will keep you so warm, almost too warm, because when you stand up, it's like you freeze instantly because you're (laughs) you're that warm. So, Yeah, definitely a good tip for you. I haven't taken advantage of that one yet. So speaking of some tips, let's uh, let's get into a little bit of the meat and potatoes of the episode today. We got some questions, put them on our Facebook page. Didn't have a ton of questions, but the but that's okay because we can't usually get to them all anyways, especially, you know, this time of year. Uh, we're still, still busy doing different stuff, so we've been trying to keep these podcasts to an hour, less than an hour, somewhere in that ballpark. So Brad, let's talk, uh, let's talk weather. I should, I should say Brad and Carrie. Sorry, Carrie. I don't mean to exclude you. It's just, a, you know, mentally in my head for so long, I just didn't say Carrie. I kept saying Brad. So, um, you, you know, you can for sure weigh in on and any of this stuff because you probably have more experience with all this than I do. You definitely catch more and bigger fish than I do. So, you know, uh, I'm the queen of the 42 this year. Well, I don't even think, I don't even think I have a 42 this year. So I can't say anything i think this has probably been one of my worst seasons i've ever had for not only fish in the boat but for just size and in general i know a lot of people are doing pretty well i'm not one of those people so if you're struggling just let it be known that you're not alone i'm right there with you so anyways it says uh weather trumps the moon so what would be your prime conditions brad carrie if you could pick the day to go fishing or pick the weather, what weather are we picking? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, weather definitely plays a big factor in muskies, but I would say stable. I like stable weather and something we haven't seen for probably three, four years. You know, when things are more stable and there's gradual increases in water temp, there's gradual decreases in water temp. Generally speaking, that is the largest factor, I would say even probably over the weather. I'm, I'm kind of like that. I'm moon-wise, I'm thinking like two to three days before new moon, two to three days after new moon. I can stay home and go to sleep on new moon. Doesn't bother me a bit. But the days before, the days after, I like. And then I like stable weather too. Nice, warm, maybe a little wind so you're not dying out there. But, not 40 mile an hour winds and surfing. 
Well, the one so, thing the one thing you hear about all the time is guys are like, uh, they want rainy conditions and they want a lot of wind. And the overcast, depending upon the body of water, can be really good. But, it's, I mean, honestly, I've had some of my best days when, like you said, Brad and Carrie, the weather's been mildly stable. The sun is fine. I know, uh, you know, I think it was probably not last year, the year before. We had a 10-fish day fishing with Jeff Jeff Hansen down in Madison. And the weather was, it was it was warm. I think it was... Uh, it was August, so the weather was warm. It was pretty much flat. In the afternoon, we had a slight breeze, but not much. So it was sunny, flat, and the fish were just absolutely on fire. There was no there was no weather. In fact, I think, if anything, it was post-frontal, because if I remember right, I was driving down there thinking to myself, shoot, I, I hope we catch a fish today because I really should be at work. And we lit them up, and I know, like... You know, in my times on Green Bay, flat, calm, and sunny on Green Bay had always been really help, good to me. So it seems like for all these guys that want this windy, nasty weather, I'm not one of those. And, you know, I'll preface this with, uh, you know, on the question end of this, there's no real absolutes in musky fishing. I think we've talked about that before. We're just offering up suggestions on what we've seen on the water and what, you know, and Brad and Carrie have spent a lot of time on the water in like I said, there's just no absolutes. There may be a guy out there that's listening that's like, there's no way I've never had a good sunny day. You know, if it's flat calm, I hate it, you know, whatever. But for me personally, I'll I'll take it. Those conditions are good. It's easier to operate your boat. You know, your boat controls better. It's, it's you're, you're working your baits better, in my opinion. But that's, you know, it's just my opinion. Yeah, there's just, like you said, there's a ton of different factors, Jeff. And if I was to go back and look through all the different pictures that I have of muskies over the last 20 years, surprisingly enough, most of the pictures of the giant fish are on calmer days. Now, don't get me wrong. There can be some really windy days and we get a big fish. I would also say, I mean, there's some, there's some other factors that I guess maybe we're not even talking about at this point. You know, you're talking about whether as a, as a cell or a system is moving in and the barometer is changing, definitely that's a key component to catching fish. Um, any of those kinds of changes can definitely spark a bite, that's for sure. But one of the things that I would like to talk about maybe even beyond that is leeward side on windy, or excuse me, on windy days, the leeward side on weed lake are definitely a factor, and I would say the windward side on rocks generally makes the, the difference. So that's something to actually put in your pocket as well. But, uh, yeah, just looking back at all the different things that I've done over the years, generally speaking, a dead flat, hot day where you're, like, miserable, you're like, man, this, this is no fun at all, have been the days that I've gotten my giant biggest fish. Pretty surprising. It's not something that everybody would think about. So on those types of days, Brad, you're not getting multiple fish, but if you get a bite, it's usually a good one. That's pretty much the truth with it too. You know, I, it's amazing. And there's times when I will use those times when it's really flat like that and go explore a little bit because when the water is laid down like that, you can definitely have a visual aspect to your fishing. You can see visually those rocks. You can visually see those weeds. So there's that as well. And, and like you said, your boat control is going to be better. Definitely something to 
to put together, you can actually lay things out on your map because map cards aren't right. You know, they're, they're a great tool, but they're not perfect by any means. And then it might be something like, hey, there's a big boulder mixed in with this cabbage. Something to look at, you know, and you can see that visually both on your side imaging, but you can also see it visually with your eyes on those really calm, flat days. So speaking of tools, Brad, I'm still, after playing with the Panoptics a little bit more, I haven't played with it a ton, and next year will have to be a different story. But if I'm if I'm picking side imaging or I'm picking Panoptics, I'm going side imaging every single time. It's just, in my opinion, it gives me so much more for the fishing that I'm doing. You know, so you were talking about map cards led me out. My thoughts went to electronics. And then so that's when I went to electronics, I went to panoptics. So that's how I got to this this statement. But, uh, yeah, I just I think if I had to pick one, I'm picking side imaging every single day, every single time. Yeah, hands down. I think I said it in the past podcast. To me, that is the number one tool ever created for helping fish. I mean, fishermen are blessed with so many different tools, but number one by far, in my opinion, is side imaging. Just a off question. Do you think it's ever, do you think this electronic stuff is ever getting too far where it's almost like cheating? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it, here's the deal. The fish still have a mind of their own. Everything can be perfect. And guess what? You can't make them bite. Now, I wouldn't say that's the truth with, uh, with walleyes or bass or maybe even bluegills. If you hang in there and you keep forcing, you can force them to eat. Muskies have a mind of their own. And I'll tell you, it, it's not a fish that you're going to make eat. Yeah, it was just the other the other day when I was on the water, I was by myself again, and I was I was just thinking, which sometimes I like to be on the water by myself. It just gives me time away from everything. I'm not dealing with you know, I don't have to have a conversation with anybody. It's just me, me against the fish, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at all this stuff, and I see the side imaging, and I'm trolling like a brake line and I can see all the different size rocks and all the, you know, I can totally see the makeup of the, of the water of the, you know, the bottom, the layout, all that stuff. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, does this take some of the sport out of the fishing, you know, because like you can literally make one pass right now and know where the biggest rocks are. You can know where there's like pea gravel and big boulders. You can know all those little intricate details so much quicker than you ever could before. It's just, it's amazing. And I was just, like I said, I was just thinking, I'm like, some of this stuff, it just seems like almost like cheating. Like you're just taking some of the sport out of it. But then as I continued to troll for four more hours, I realized that, you know, it's not at that point, you you still can't just, like you said, Brad, you just can't make them eat. Right. I think, you know, you're talking about how this, these tools can be so effective. But the neat thing about side imaging is that it does present a history on the screen. Where what I've seen and heard, you know, with uh, the panoptic side of things, it's live. And so unless you're going to sit, sit there and stare at a screen, it's probably not as effective as you think. You know what I'm saying? I Don't get me wrong. It can be an effective tool, but it's live. So you've got to literally stare at that screen the whole time or you might miss what you're looking for. I 100% agree with you. I've said it all the time. Like as I'm sitting here watching the panoptics, I'm like, the side imaging, I don't need to stare, stare at it all the time. Whereas if on a on the panoptics, it, you know, depending on what you're looking for, you you need to be looking at it. Because like you said, there's no history there. It's literally live. If, if something's on the screen and then off the screen, you lose it. 
you know, with the side imaging, if you pick up a, I mean, if you, if you mark a fish on the side imaging, it'll still be there for another five minutes. You can, you can kind of glance up and glance down. You can check your baits without having to worry about missing anything. It's definitely a different tool. There's no doubt. For the record, I think uh, of the three muskies I caught on Sunday, I think I only side imaged one fish, and that for sure was not one that I I got to eat. It was in a different spot than where I had caught. So um, just so you know, if you're not side imaging muskies, you can still catch them. Yeah, it is amazing. I, Matt Seifert was here this past week, and we discussed that quite a bit where, for whatever reason, you know, and it could be that, hey, we're running the uh, side imaging, we're 100 feet off the, Port side 100 feet off the starboard side maybe running boards that fish came from 150 or 120 and you never did market so that's something to think about as well don't be frustrated if you're not seeing the fish concentrate on the bait fish and that definitely will help bring you into the areas those muskies are going to be hanging out but just because you don't see one on there doesn't mean that it isn't going to get you're not going to get bit yep i would agree with that so moving on to a question, I think we kind of covered that one pretty good, and it gave gave people a insight, and it and we gave people an, an extra look at electronics. So this one says, "What water temperatures do you start and stop night fishing?" Well, I can give you my answer. I start and stop musky or night fishing like right away. I don't ever do it. It's not something I I really do much. If I troll or cast an hour into into the dark, that's about as far as I go. I'm not a vampire like Brad has been, so I will definitely let Brad answer the question. In my opinion, by me not my night fishing, though, I am absolutely missing opportunities at fish. Brad, you can tell a story probably recently about how we were going to do a podcast last week, but we didn't because you were fishing later because you told me that they were biting after dark. Is that, I mean, so at that point, if I was only fishing the, you know, the sun up hours, I was not going to probably have as much action as you would by fishing later. Yeah, it's really interesting, Jeff. It's kind of what took place over the, well, a couple of weeks ago. We were marking tons of fish, and we were just talking about side imaging. I was on a particular sand area flat that basically, it was loaded. There was times when I had six muskies on my screen at one time. I know Seifert called me, and he goes, man, I got eight on my screen right now. And I'm like, yeah, we're not in the right spot. These fish are dormant. They're just laying there. You could get some of them to follow, but... I think that's when we were landing right on top of them and they're just really negative. You know, they weren't there to feed. So I kept thinking about this and we kept working on it day after day. And finally I'm like, you know what? These fish are still here. They, they laid there for weeks. And basically I started thinking, well, our window isn't open at this point. So we've got to do something different. And once we started fishing into the dark, that's when we started getting bit. So Night fishing can definitely be a factor, and it's just about banging your head against the wall until it happens, right? I mean, you just put the hours in to see what's going on, and that's kind of what we did, and we had success. With that all being said, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's kind of a loaded question. When is the right time to night fish? Basically, it doesn't matter. From the opening day until freeze up, there can be a bite at night. No different than a bite during the day, there's windows at night. So there's not a really a specific time. I mean, we, we look at sunset, sunrise as definitely being a, a key factor. And, you know, right after sunset, that first dark, it can definitely be on fire. But 
that doesn't mean that it can't happen two hours after dark. So no difference in the day. The nighttime provides windows, and you just need to be on the water to make it happen. And I think that if most, I mean, if we polled most musky anglers, I would say their night fishing generally takes place during the midsummer, you know, heat of midsummer when you have a lot of pleasure boating, a lot of traffic during the day. Sometimes they night fish just to get away from all that too. So, I mean, like Brad said, there's no wrong time, but I would say the majority of them would be spent during that midsummer to late summer pattern, I would guess. I would agree. And I think that's based upon comfort. You know, and this last week, it was miserable. When the sun went down, even when it was cloudy and snowing and everything else, you know, that sun still being up, there's a little extra warmth, if you will. At this time of the year, when you get into the night, it gets nasty out. That's for sure. The temps start dropping, and uh, you got to be prepared for that. But uh, sometimes it pays off. Well, that's like, uh, you know, when... That I was kind of going to say that on the night fishing part of it, like late season night fishing is definitely tougher. I can think back to a an episode, I think with Greg Thomas on Keys Outdoors, they were trolling late night and they were banging fish. I think, I think you got in on that pattern at some point, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, so obviously on certain bodies of water, you know, the late fall could be really good, but it's just a matter of whether or not you want to stick it out. I mean, it was cold on Sunday during the day, like you had said. And then as it got towards later in the afternoon, it's got noticeably cooler already. And once the sun goes down, it's going to even be worse. So just a matter of what you want to put yourself through. Yeah, hands down. You know, I, I, it's, like I said, it's a loaded question. There's, there's too many factors in this game of fishing muskies to give you a concrete answer. When this happens, do that. It, it's not always that way. So it's not cut and dry. The main thing is, and I, I know I've said this a hundred times, but you can't catch them from the couch. And the best thing to do is put in as much time as you can to have success on the water. hundred percent. All right, moving on. Uh, the next question was, I've heard you guys say big fish act a certain way or utilize the best spot in the lake. Is this true? If so, help us key in on that. Well, I would say it's absolutely true. And I would, I'll refer to Brad first on, how, you know, helping you key in on it. Cause I would, well, I, I guess I can give you my two cents. Personally, I'm for big fish spots for me, I'm looking for, uh, points that extend out into like, I'm usually looking for a point, whether it be a weed point or a rock point that extends out into deep water. I'm usually looking for a short distance from shallow water to deep water that that fish can move back and forth on. And that's what I'm looking for. Brad, I don't know. You're you're a better angler than me. People should really take your advice more than they should take mine. What do you have to say about it? No, you're absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, I I look at it this way: if you have deep water access to a shallow area, those fish, I relate them to deer. You know, if you think about it, they're always trying to prepare for a, an escape route, is what I would call it. So, if they are up in that four feet of water, how far is it to get to twenty to kind of feel that security and that sense of safety. So I definitely like hard break and, uh, that hard break might, might be a deep weed line, you know, inside turns, the points that you were just talking about definitely are really key factors in finding big fish. Now, with that being said, there's certain bodies of water throughout the state that definitely hold big fish in really shallow water. So it's kind of, again, it's a loaded question, right? The census would be that 
they definitely like having that escape route. That's what I always look for. Yes, I agree. I've said this about a bazillion times on the podcast. If you have not read the book, Buck Perry Spoon, Spoon Plugging, it will give you a insight into that deep water to shallow water route migration or however you want to say it. Like I said, his book primarily talks about like bass and salmon, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or trout or something like that. It's not really a musky, a musky related book, but there's certain principles that you can apply to it. And so that's why I typically relate to what Brad had talked about. Like if you have a shoreline that takes a long time to drop off to deeper water, typically I'm not, I, I don't, I mean, I'll fish that, but I won't typically think as much about that's a big fish spot as, as you find that short route from deep to shallow. Like Brad said, the, sh- the deep water is like their safety in a sense. So I think that's kind of why I related to that. You know, you gotta, you gotta think about this too, Jeff. From the time that a muskie is born or placed into a body of water, they are always looking above them, right? There's birds that are prey, you know, the, the topper, the top of the food chain, right? So, they're continually looking up and watching what's above them. And that deep water gives them that safety. Um, number two, I would say that, you know, you can look to those biggest structures like you were just saying, Jeff, but let's go a little bit further into that. There is also the fact that there are spots on the spot, if you will. And that, that term is used quite often. But what I'm trying to say is, is that, uh, you have to look for the little idiosyncrasies of the big spot that you're actually fishing. It might be just a little inside turn in a weed bed. It might be um, a rock that's situated on that structure. And they re- relate to those different little pieces. So you definitely want to pay attention to some of that as well. The other thing that I'd like to talk about is, is just because it is a big fish spot and you've had consistent big fish there, if other anglers start pushing those fish, and they just sit on them and sit on them and sit on them. Guess what? They're going to move to the secondary spot. So definitely think about that as well. If you've seen a bunch of people just pounding and pounding and pounding on a small point, we'll slide out off the break a little bit and go down, you know, a hundred yards before that spot on the spot and then go past it and go a hundred yards that way. Um, I've noticed a lot of times that I will catch the bigger fish doing that. If a spot is just getting hammered. Right. And I mean, I would agree with that. So what's your take on like, so let's just say it's a, uh, a point that sticks out in the deep water. Is that spot going to be solid year after year after year? Oh, hands down. I mean, if you think about all the years that I've fished, I consistently see good fish on those spots. I mean, they're just prime spots, right? It holds bait. They're comfortable. They have the escape route. There's so many of those factors. You know, I, I just touched on three of them right there. So, you definitely will see traditionally these fish are going to be in certain areas. Now, if they get caught and they get hindered all the time, they might slide just down a little ways. And that's what I'm talking about with the secondary spot. So don't be afraid to fish a little bit longer or further on a spot than you normally would if there's a ton of pressure. So I guess in an instance like this, though, this is where we go back to it a lot is electronics and boat control. This is where it can be very important to catch those big fish. You know, if you're, if your casts are landing, you know, in the most appropriate spot and you know, like Brad had talked about those inside turns, how exactly far that sticks out on that, on that point, or if there's like a little finger that comes off of those points, 
all of that stuff is is key and that's why sometimes i think as anglers we want to spend as much time casting as we can but i sometimes think that like the homework part of it is in my opinion a very important part of it you know the uh, i don't want to even say the homework part the the driving around and figuring it out. I mean, just because we have these lake maps like Brad had talked about, I think it was on this episode already, those things aren't exactly perfect. So for you to go on there and make sure that you you note those little differences, whether it be with an icon or a waypoint or whatever, those little differences can help you out. I think that's why sometimes, I mean, we talk about all the time, time on the water, but this is why guides also put more muskies in the net because they know these little details that, the weekend guy isn't spending, he doesn't have the time to spend out there to figure out these details. So he's, he's missing things and I miss things. I'm a weekend warrior guy. I've said it a bazillion times. Like this year has been terrible for me, but I also, it's part of it because I haven't had as much time on the water and we've been busy and that's great. I'm happy that we have been, but that's part of it. And I don't have the time to do those, the research that I should do to put more fish in the net. Yeah, there's, there's one more key component maybe to this, and I think this is maybe another question, Jeff, but if you think about it, talk about windows, bite windows. And what I mean by that is you, you got to follow, you got to follow. And, okay, this fish gave up its position. You, you know where a big fish is. Let me tell you something. If you're on a body of water and you're on a halfway across the lake, whatever, and you catch a fish, guess what? There's possibly a window that just opened. Now, that could be a factor of the moon. It could be a factor of the barometer. Tons of different things that could be the factor that they started to eat. But definitely go take the time to buzz across the lake and get on your big fish spot where you marked one earlier. And that's, uh, you're always looking for the window. What are these fish doing? And if you've been on the water for multiple days, you already have a pretty good idea of when those windows will be. And I will tell you this, it's kind of interesting, but uh, following the moon, the sun, whatever you might, might say, definitely, if you look at the majors and minors, they're always about an hour-ish uh, later each day, and that window will generally trend that way. Yep, for sure. Well, it's like, and sometimes if you can narrow it down to even just, you know, certain times of the year, it'll be a morning bite. You've talked about it a time, you know, thing you've talked about how at some points you have a, you, last year or whatever, you had a bite. It was like six o'clock. And, you know, even this past weekend, I had a buddy of mine that was out fishing on Saturday and he got one on Saturday morning. I couldn't go there Saturday morning. I didn't meet up with him till Saturday afternoon and he caught a muskie on Saturday morning. And so he's like, well, it must be a morning window because Saturday afternoon, all we got was a pike. So I made sure that I got there on on early on Sunday morning so that I could get out with enough daylight time on Sunday morning. And of course I got two in the morning. So it was a morning window type of thing too. Not necessarily at this case. I think my second fish may have came moon related, but I don't know positively. I definitely know my late afternoon fish had nothing to do with the moon though. Yeah. Just because you you might be waiting for that moon doesn't mean that you can't catch. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a window some other point in time in the day. So you're right. Last year was it was really strange. I never I never really seen it this year. I would say that the AM minor seems to be the big one this year for me, as as far as like consistency and catching. So if we had a decent AM minor, it seemed like we were catching. Um, the problem is, is that the season's only about six months long, and by the time you think you really got it dialed in, the season's over. So <laughs> it makes it a challenge, but. Last year was insane. I mean, that 5.30 to 6 o'clock, we caught fish 
every day for over a month and a half. And the neat thing about that is I know we talked about this on a really old podcast a year ago, talking to other guides throughout the show season last year, they started going, wow, you know, we kind of had that same bite and it was across Minnesota. It was across Wisconsin. So, you know, those little idiosyncrasies pay attention to it. And a lot of times that can be a big factor. Yep, absolutely. So moving on now to our last question, this one revolt, this one's on solo fishing. So I might actually be able to offer up a little bit of insight on this one. So how long do you stay on a spot versus switching baits? Well, from my standpoint, I can tell you that I won't ever switch a bait during the middle of the spot. I'll usually fish out my entire spot much slower than I would if I had two people in the boat because I'm still trying to hit as much of it as I can. I still It's about covering water. It's about making sure that it's sliced up well. So if I'm fishing solo, I'm going to work the spot slow. I'm going to work it all the way through. And then at some point you're going to, you know, again, we're, we're not talking hard, fast rules here. At some point you need to decide whether or not your presentation for the day is right. So if it's late fall, though, I'm going to stick with, especially this time of year, I'm, I'm more of a rubber and wood type of person at this time of year based off of success. Now, again, that might be self-fulfilling. I don't catch them on bucktails this time of year because I don't throw bucktails this time of year, but Brad might catch them on bucktails or Carrie might catch them on bucktails this time of year because maybe that's what they're throwing. So maybe I'm missing out, but typically this time of year, I'm going to be working with wood, be suics or bobbies for me or rubber, which is bulldogs and medusas. Or, uh, I've even playing with the whale tail from, um, from bait rigs or whale tail plastics. That's an interesting bait from the standpoint. It's got a really big tail profile, but doesn't dive nearly as deep. So if you're looking to work, you know, shallower, I think it's a better deal for there. a little slower fall than the other two baits. But anyway, so that's how it is for me. Then if I move spots, I'll probably like, if I'm going to start the day out, I'm going to kind of decide which, what I'm going with water plastic. If I'm moving or catching fish on either, which typically on those two presentations, I don't move fish. So I'm going to have to catch them usually. Then if I'm not doing anything, then I'm going to probably make a, a change. But for me personally, I'm going to stick with one presentation for a while until I determine and then, you know, that it's out for the day. And then I'm going to make a switch. I don't switch baits a ton. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's probably a fault in some cases, but it's some in some cases too, I just feel comfortable in what I've been doing. I feel comfortable with the baits that I work. I know that my presentation works, and so I stick with something maybe too long. I don't know. What do you think, Brad? Well, I don't think you're too far off in the sense that you can catch fish on any bait any time of the season if you put your time in and you put it in the right spot, right? So thinking about that, you know, as you get into October, I mean, we, we caught fish on another prototype that we'll be introducing this year shortly hopefully we get the rest of the parts in but we caught fish on blade bait uh up till about a week and a half ago so you think about that we got ice forming on the lakes right now but we're putting them in the right spot and so what that means is changing baits and and doing different things that you're doing you got to think about where the presentation is where are the fish are you reaching the fish if they're down deep guess what you need to either slow roll a bucktail so you get down to that depth or maybe add additional weight or a weighted leader. I know stealth makes those. That, that can be effective. Ultimately, wood and rubber kind of become part of the key because you have more of a, a start and stop type motion. 
depending on how you're working those baits and you're getting into the water depth that those fish are going to be hanging. So those are factors that you got to think about. As far as changing periodically throughout the day or on a spot, I would definitely say that I don't change a lot of baits. If I do change baits, it might be a color change. It might go really bright, wild colored, and then go back to a natural color. But use a bait that you have a ton of confidence in, and it definitely usually outshines everything else. So my boat, I don't change a whole lot until the fish tell me to change. And what I mean by that is if I caught on a specific bait last weekend or yesterday or two hours ago, guess what? That one's not coming off until we prove something different. And so usually myself being in the back of the boat, if I'm guiding, I might change baits. My fishermen aren't going to be changing unless they're like, Brad, I just, I can't throw this anymore. And then we'll make that change. But, uh, yeah, throw a bait that you got tons of confidence in and that's been performing for you. That's, that's the just to it really. Yep. Confidence is key. And we've talked about it before. And sometimes the only way to gain confidence is to essentially like stick to that bait for as long as you can possibly throw it until you gain confidence in either that your presentation is working or whatever. And then once you know that you've caught on that one before, now you at least have a basis to go back to. If you're constantly rotating through baits, I just feel like it's hard to really get in the groove that day. That's just me personally. Like if you see me on the water, if you're in my boat and I'm changing baits a lot, uh, that just means that either mentally, I don't know, I don't, I'm searching for something that I think I'm going to find through making lots of bait changes versus like just focusing on a presentation and focusing on boat control, focusing on where the, where I think the fish are that day versus, you know, like it's like if I'm changing baits a lot throughout the day, mentally, I'm, I'm struggling somewhere and I don't, I don't particularly like that. So if I'm staying pretty pretty put, you know, with what I'm doing, then I feel like I'm a lot more dialed in that day. Like I just, it confidence, you know, that's what it comes back down to. Yeah. I think some of that too, Jeff, what you're just talking about is maybe your mind is somewhere else. Maybe you got some issues at home or at work or whatever it might be. And you're really not truly focused in fishing that bait properly. When you, when your mind is somewhere else, guess what? You're not fishing it right. So, you know, clearing your brain, getting out there and doing what it takes to catch fish, being one with your bait and actually really concentrating on what's happening. That's usually when it happens, but there's a, there's another side to that. And I think I just told this story last week to some people. <laughs> I've seen it where the guy that is the most intense and he's just working his butt off. He wants to catch so bad. Guess what? He's not really having fun at that point. He's not going to catch. It, it's so bizarre. The guy that's laughing and having fun and talking, those are the guys that generally catch. You need to relax somehow in the boat. Fishing angry doesn't always work. Fishing angry never works. <laughs> I was waiting for I was waiting for Carrie to say that because I knew she was going to jump in as soon as you said fishing angry. I'm like, all right, Carrie's going to have something to say. Yeah, it never works. Speaking <laughs> from experience, it just never works. Well, you know, talking about your your. Uh, I, I don't know, kind of getting into that same story about relaxing and getting in a groove and like kind of like having fun. I can think of a story one time. So I was fishing in northern Wisconsin and there's a um, a, a restaurant or a bar on the water. And this was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. So that morning I was doing the same kind of thing. I was fishing spots and I was, it seemed like I was just in a, in a funk. I couldn't 
figure out a color. I couldn't figure out what style bait I wanted to throw. And so I said, screw it. I'm going in to get a burger for lunch. So as I'm sitting there getting a burger, you're just kind of regrouping and starting over again. And I came back out and I'm like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going back to confidence. This is, I'm going to go fish confidence spots with a confidence bait. And then boom, things came together. You know, kind of one of those weird windows where I ended up catching two muskies and a, a nice northern pike within a matter of like 30 minutes. And so it came together that day, mostly just because I took a couple seconds, you know, not a couple seconds. I took about 45 minutes to regroup, get a burger, start over, re- restart the day and settle in. Whereas it seems like if you can't settle in and you're just constantly like battling in your head, sometimes it's, it's just a struggle. You're not going to win that day. Well, hands down, Jeff, it's what I brought up with the Hammernick uh, podcast that we did here two, three weeks ago. I remember filming those guys during the tournament, the Minnesota tournament trail. And Jason looked at Billy Beekner and says, uh, let's go have lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, we have limited time to get fish. And now we're going to take an hour break and go have lunch. But you, you hit it on the head. You basically come out with a whole different mindset if you will and you're refreshed and you actually can go out and attack the water the way you should be so definitely something about that and i think uh as anglers we generally don't always want to take that break but uh, sometimes it's necessary an hour makes a huge difference another story that i could provide is jason summers who originally created the medusa that we know that chaos tackle has Jason fished the PMTT for many, many years. And, and when you fish the PMTT, and he, he won a lot of money over the years that he fished it. He was a really good competitor and actually uh, did very well in that whole tournament trail. He told me one time, he said, Brad, he goes, I, I asked him, here's the question I posed to him. I said, how do you go to the PMTT knowing that you're probably going to be trapped in like one spot for the day or maybe two spots because all the anglers, they know those spots. And if you can beat them there, you definitely have a better opportunity. And he said, you know what I do if I'm stuck on a spot? He goes, sometimes I just start the big motor and I drive a big 100, 200 yard circle and I reapproach that, that spot and start fishing it again. And he goes, it's just enough to clear my mind to actually approach it a little differently. And I went, wow. I mean, that, that to me was something that stuck in my brain, how he literally just made a loop with the boat but came right back to the same spot and approached it totally differently than what he was the first four hours in the tournament so that was interesting yeah no doubt about that that's that's pretty cool but you know i guess the takeaway from all that is sometimes if um if things aren't going your way like you said just take a break regroup start over you know you ever have a morning where you wake up in the morning and things go bad in the first two hours and you're like man i wish we could just start this day over again well, unfortunately in life, you can't just start the day over again, but fortunately when you're musky fishing, you can just, you know, stop what you're doing, start over, get away from it for a minute and come back to it and, and attack it and approach it differently and different mindset. So, uh, I guess, uh, that's it for questions this week. So unless Brad and Carrie have something to add to it, I don't know if you do or don't, Brad. I, I have a question for the listeners. Sure. So what I'm wondering from the listeners is since we have no shows this year what if they have any um, opinions or suggestions on how they'd like to see us present new products would you like to see like Facebook live or 
video virtual virtual tours or, or YouTube videos or what would they like to see? That's what I, I, I'm wondering. And how do they reach you with that? They, they can just, you can just email or Facebook message or Instagram message backlash podcast or musty man tackle, or I'm, I'm guessing Jeff would even field some of those suggestions at team Rhino outdoors. Sure. Cause I mean, I know we talk about it. I talk to a lot of people in the industry and I think everybody's got the same questions. I'm like, okay, well, if there's no shows for sure for the first two months of the off season, what do we do to fill that void? Is there something we can to do to fill that void? And so, yes, Carrie brings up a good point. Uh, email, message, whatever. You can find all of that stuff. Either, like you said, go to Backlash, go to Musky Mayhem, go to Team Rhino, check, you know, any of us and we, you know, we can kind of kick some of those ideas around. We have some time to figure this out because technically shows weren't supposed to happen for another two months or so anyways. Right. But we're usually mid prep for shows already. <laughs> I understand. Normally we start gearing the shop up to get ready to go to shows uh, shortly, you know, which brings up another question for us. I mean, so I've had people ask me, they're like, well, what happens if, you know, Minnesota gets canceled, but the, Northern Wisconsin show goes on. Would you just go to one show? And I'm like, I don't know. I just need to, I need to figure this out first because like for us to go to just one show is a ton of work to go to one show. So I don't know. We'll have to kick. We'll, we'll uh, make better decisions when we have better answers. But at this point it's definitely up in the air, whether or not we would even attend just one show. I don't know. It's hard to say, like I said, for us to get all those products ready, and everything that we do to go to a show, you know, cause like we have all of our stuff hanging up on peg hooks throughout the course of the season, but none of it's in like show condition, you know, it's all bagged up, it, none of it's priced. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's something else to try to get ready for a show. Typically, like Carrie said, I mean, our show prep starts in, let's see, if we have a show in early January, we'd start by like a little after Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving to get ready for a show. So we'll have to see what happens. Lots of Lots of questions that need to be answered yet between now and, I don't know, I'd say mid-January. Well, hands down, Jeff, and I would say this, you know, I mean, we we play a risk. Um, right off the bat, just say 50% of the crowd shows up. And then on top of that, if there's regulations on how many people can be in the show at one time, I just, I don't know. I, I'm kind of grateful that they canceled the uh, the first two, so in that sense, because there's a lot of unknowns and, and we don't know what that all means. But uh, I do know what it costs us to run to a show. And if the people aren't there, guess what? It really isn't worth going other than to make connections and, and revisit different friends and things that I've built over the years. But I love going to the shows because of those reasons to go see these people and the loyal customers that we have. I appreciate all of them. But uh, there's a huge risk there, financial risk. So it's a little troublesome. Yeah, I can't disagree with it at all. I would think if these shows were free and we could get, you know, if if it was didn't cost us, if the, like you said, if the financial risk wasn't there and they were going to have a show and it had limitations, yeah, I'd say, all right, that's fine. I can probably still come to the show and deal with the limitations. But like you said, Brad, at some point, if you go, if you gamble on the show and the attendance isn't there... <laughs> at some point you're, you'd be better off just not being there. You're actually going to take money out of your pocket during a time where you need to 
try to generate some income versus, you know, go the opposite direction. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's definitely a, it's a difficult decision. I don't want anybody to think that these decisions were really easy for anybody. Yeah. Hands down. I mean, it's, like I said, there's just too many unknowns to predict how that would look, but, uh, I don't know. I, I look forward to possibly doing something different. Like, you know, what Carrie just posed as a question. Um, I think that was a great question and it would be really cool to have some of our listeners, you know, share with us. I, I want to know, I mean, can we do some Facebook live seminars? Would that, would that be cool? I mean, would people tune into that? You know, those are some of the questions that I have in the back of my head. I would be intrigued to see if uh, people are willing and, and interested in some of those ideas. Absolutely. So, I guess that wraps up another episode. Carrie, what episode is this one? 83, maybe? 83? Or 84? One of the two. Right, you, you were supposed to be better than that. You're always the one that knows what episode it is because you make the little thing that comes out on Wednesdays. But anyways. 83. 83. John was, was the last one we did, right? Yep. Well, we just want to thank everybody for coming out and listening to episode 83. I think we decided that's what that was of Backlash Podcast. We truly appreciate everybody's support throughout the course of this entire season, both with purchases through Team Rhino Outdoors and Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and for listening to the podcast. I know that the podcast has continued to grow this season, and we thank you all for that. And we'll see you all next week, I believe. Right, Brad? We'll figure out a guest, and we'll get that one rolling for next week. Hands on. Yeah, we'll get another guest, and hopefully we can provide the uh, Muskie pick throughout the cold weather. So Yes. And as we'll, the season comes to an end. And hopefully with that Muskie fix... Keep listening to a couple episodes here in the podcast, and we'll have a couple, I think, uh, a couple announcements to make and and uh, keep moving forward throughout the course of this season or off season, I guess I would say. For the majority of you in the musky range, we'll have some uh, cool stuff coming up. I would agree, Jeff, and I think uh, you know as we go forward here, we'll probably talk more about some of the details that we were just talking about. You know how we can reach out to everybody. So it should be an interesting uh, winter. Absolutely. So once again, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. We'll catch you all next Wednesday.